Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We are, we're, we are right now, we are in a uh, series called... Um, what does that mean? And talking about, I know we've, we've, you've been in church. If you've been in church at all, or maybe you've not been in church, maybe this is your first time, but maybe you've heard people say, you know, little Christianese, we call them Christianese things, things that are, that we, that we pull from the Bible that sometimes we may not really truly understand. And um, it's been a great series because we get to break down things that that people say in passing, but it may just be, kind of be like, wow, what does that even mean through the Bible? And so it's been a great, great series. But today we are going to talk about what it means to have the joy of the Lord is my strength. Has anyone ever heard that? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, Hopefully you have heard that because it comes straight from the Bible and Nehemiah. But sometimes when I think, what, is, what does that even mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And if it's just in passing, it can just be like, well, I don't really understand that. But okay, that sounds good. Um, but it is so, it, I love this because it is so rich. It's so rich with with what God's all over it, and he should be because it comes straight out of the Bible. And so we are going to be in Nehemiah. We're going to take it back to the Old Testament in Nehemiah. And we actually did a series in Nehemiah um, probably a couple of years ago, three, four, four years, four years ago. Uh, it was our first series. Wow, bringing back some, some of the old days. Uh, four years ago, we did a series in Nehemiah, and it was a great series. And so we have all of that on our website if you want to go back and listen to that. And, uh, but we are in Nehemiah verses 8. And before we read that, verse 8, 10 specifically, but before we read that, I want to give you a little bit of a background, what is happening, because I'm not going to go through the whole book of Nehemiah, eight chapters up to here, but it's, it's a very, very cool story, so if you get an opportunity, please go back and read that, and so in Nehemiah, this is after the wall was built, Nehemiah rebuilt a wall, and this was after it was built, and the Israelites were being settled in their town, and so all these people here are gathered in the town, and they're in the, inside the walls, and it's, it's been such a great, joyous journey for them to get up to this point, and um, in, in Nehemiah 8, Ezra, a priest, so you have Nehemiah and you have Ezra, the priest, they build him a platform and they are noticing that these people, they need, there's different, uh, different groups of people, so they don't all speak Hebrew, they're speaking Aramaic, and so they need, they realize that the people, they kind of strayed away from the Lord, and so they need to read scripture. And so Ezra stands on this platform and he begins to read this scripture, the holy word of God from dawn until noon. And he reads it. And I love, I love this because he gathers these group of people and they have translators where they can finally understand what the scripture is meaning. And so um, this leads the Israelites to recognize their sin and how far that they've gone from God. This whole scripture reading. And then it, because they are recognizing their sin, they become very, very sad. 
So if you're reading this, you know, and we'll read part of it, these, the people become very, very sad, and they feel they have this heavy conviction because they're saying, okay, I know I'm wrong. I'm recognizing my sin. And they start weeping, and they just realize that they need to obey God. And so this is where we're going to pick up in Nehemiah 8, verses 10. And it says, and Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast. So remember, they're very sad, and so he's, he's trying to cheer them up. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Join us next week, and we will have rich foods and sweet drinks. And share gifts of food with people who have, been, have nothing prepared. And this is also for you people that don't bring anything next week to the picnic. Don't worry, we got you covered. This sacred day before our Lord, do not be dejected or sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's trying to encourage these people. You recognize your sin. You recognize how far you've gotten from God. But don't be sad because there's more. Don't be sad because God will continue to work and move through you. And so this brings us to our first thought today, which the first thought is, God's word brings conviction. God's word bring con- brings conviction. Let's read back up a little bit, Nehemiah 8, 8 through 9. They read the Bible. I'm sorry. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read. So these people are finally understanding the book of God. Helping the people understand each passage. passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor... Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Do not mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. The people were sad because as the scripture was being read to them in a language they could finally understand, they were feeling conviction but then they start to realize the goodness of God and how far that they've come and I think it's so cool and it's so sweet here that uh, that Nehemiah and Ezra they really didn't have to do anything God's word did it all and when we read the word of God it's going to bring conviction in our lives and I know that a lot of times when we think conviction we think that it's bad but conviction's not always bad Conviction is actually not bad at all because what does conviction do? It helps you understand your need for God and will help you repent. And what does repent do? It means that you turn away from that, whatever that sin is, and you want to return back to God. And so when we talk about the word of God, how it brings conviction, when you start to read it and you start to listen to it, you can't help but think, I need, I need a savior. I need God. I need, I need him more because of what his word does. So understanding and realizing it and feeling, they felt, the people felt the heaviness of their sin. They felt it so strongly because sin pulls us away from God. When we sin, it's not that God automatically says, I don't love you anymore, get out of my sight. When we sin, it's like if anybody is a parent here 
and your kid makes a really bad choice. And sometimes it's not necessarily that you're mad at them, you're very angry at them. That might be true, but you're, you're disappointed in that choice that they made. You still love them. You still, you still want to have a relationship with them, but you're just, just disappointed in what, ha- what the choices that they made. And so sin's not, well, the Bible says that sin will lead to death, and it, that will c- continue to happen if you do not repent of your sins and continue to need, recognize your need for a Savior. But sin pulls us away from God. It makes us not so in tune with him. And when these people are hearing this, they're saying, oh, man, I've, we've got so much more to learn. We've got so much. We, we need a Savior so badly. And God loves us so, so much that he doesn't want to see us separated from him. He doesn't want to see us away from him. And it's, it's not because he's disgusted with us. Someone needs to hear that today. God is not disgusted with you. He's disgusted with your sin. There's a difference. He hates sin. He doesn't hate you. So whatever you might be caught up in, sin, and maybe you've tried to give it to the Lord, he doesn't hate you. He loves you. He wants you. He has a desire for you. But there's a little, a little thing that's in the way. And when we give that to God continuously and we continue to repent and continue to repent, it draws us closer to him and draws us closer to him. We stop getting closer to God when we realize, I don't need God anymore. I want the sin more. So sin leads us away from God and eventually it will become, well, we talked before the Bible says it will lead to death, but eventually become, we become callous to what honors God. We become hardened. Our heart becomes hardened. And we think, oh, well, you know, I'm already away from God. I've already done this. I might as well continue to do it. And that's the furthest from the truth. Listen, nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. And, and we will continue to sin every single day. But it's what we do in those moments when we do sin where we ask the Lord, God, please forgive me. Please continue to help me. Please continue to grow me. I, it's really um, kind of funny right now because I've been noticing um, Sky. She'll just she, Sky is our seven-year-old daughter, and <clears throat> she just will sometimes just stop and she'll close her eyes and she'll start just moving her mouth. And I'm like, what is she doing? Like, I don't understand what she's doing. So I watched her for a couple of days, and she would be playing with our son, Peyton, and then she would just stop, and she would just start closing her eyes. And Peyton's like, sissy, sissy, sissy. And then she, I'd be like, Peyton, just wait, just wait. And he's like, well, I'm playing anyways, sissy. And he talks like that. He's really cute. Um, but then she'll open her eyes, and then she'll just go back to it. And I said, Sky, I said, Sky, what, what are you doing? She's like, I'm praying. You're praying. And she's been praying because she's getting thoughts in her head, and she doesn't want to sin. And she doesn't want it to, to lead to anything. She'll say, Mommy, I have, you know, bad words in my head. And apparently her daddy says, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's so foolish sometimes. <laughs> um, if you missed it, a few weeks ago, Ryan said foolish, and it did not sound like that. And a lot of people were like, <gasps> I wanted to go up there and grab the mic and be like, he didn't say it. He didn't say it. But, um, no, she's been, she's been praying that the Lord will take these 
bad thoughts out of her head. And I think it's so sweet because she said, Mommy, will Jesus still love me if I have bad thoughts? Well, yeah, he still loves you. And she said, Mommy, will Jesus still love me if I sin? I'm like, yes, sis. It's not about we're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up every single day. But I told her, I said, Sky, it's what you do with that. When you do sin, do you, do you ask Jesus to forgive you? Well, yeah. She said, I'm gonna, am I still going to go to heaven? I said, yes, yeah, sis, you're still going to go to heaven. And, um, and then she began baptizing people in our pool, neighborhood kids. It's been really cool. She yells, she yells, Mommy, how do you say it? So I walk out on the deck, and I see her going, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And she brings him back up. <clears throat> but God's word brings conviction, and we're not going to know the conviction of God's word unless we're in it. We're not going to know that conviction unless we're reading through it. Because a lot of times, yeah, the Holy Spirit will convict us. The Holy Spirit will say, hey, that's not right. Don't do that. But sometimes when we become numb to the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's God's word that will do the job. When we're reading it and we're becoming very intentional about it. So Nehemiah, he recognized that it was hitting the people hard. That it was really hitting them hard on how, on how, how much they were just torn apart. They were weeping they were just tearing their clothes, and they were, it's, it's weird, I don't understand it, but in the, in the Old Testament, they would tear their clothes, and they would put ashes on their face just to show that they are mourning, they are weeping, they are in deep anguish. How many times have we been in deep anguish over sin that we've committed that much? I mean, how many times have we really been like, God, I'm so sorry, you just want to not rip your clothes off, but you just, you, are, you don't know what else to do. Because you're just in such deep anguish. That's what, they were, that's what these people were realizing. I need, so, I need a Savior. I need God. And so Nehemiah, he steps in and he says this verse that will continue for ages, thousands and thousands of years, that people will continue to stand on, that will continue to bring joy. And he says, which is uh, our thought number two, God's joy brings, or I'm sorry, God's word brings joy and strength. God's word brings joy and strength. In Nehemiah 8.10, it says, And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with feasts of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing, prepared nothing. This is, sac- this is a sacred day before the Lord. Do not be, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need to hear that. If your sin has made you sad, rightfully so. But you can't stay in that sadness, especially if you are in Christ Jesus, because his joy is our strength. God's word brings joy and strength. And in the Hebrew word for joy used here is to rejoice or make glad. And the Hebrew word for strength here means a place of safety, protection, refuge, or stronghold. So God's word essentially is saying God's word makes us glad and makes us feel safe. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
It makes us glad. Joy is a, is a more, is a deep emotional feeling. You say, oh, if you have happiness, that is a more surface feeling. If you have joy, it's a deeper emotion. It means that basically things can get thrown your way and life can really stink, but you are still going to go through with a smile on your face, not because you're faking it, because you know who your God is. So after God's word bring con- brings conviction, and this is so how it should go, after God's word brings conviction, then he brings joy and strength. So after God's word, after you say, man, I'm in so in need of a savior, God, please forgive me for doing this, whatever it may be, please forgive me for this, you shouldn't stay in that place of sadness. You should move into a place of gladness and joy because God forgave you, and now you are clean. You are washed clean, and now you are closer to the Lord than what you've ever been before. God did not intend for you to stay in your conviction. His intention for you is to have joy and to move on and to continue to be the Christ follower that he's called you to be. Whatever you've done, whatever sin you've committed, God doesn't hang it over your head and say, when you get to heaven, be like, remember when you did this? If you ask for forgiveness for it, then God remembers it no more. You are, you, are, you are released from that. God's not going to hold you to that sin. So when we, when we ask for forgiveness, we should let it go because he's let it go. We don't need to stay there because when you stay there, guess what? And you remember your, your sin and you remember you're just feeling all of this heaviness and you're just feeling all of this condemnation. Condemnation is not from God. Conviction is from God, but condemnation is not from God. Condemnation makes you feel bad. It makes you feel worthless. It, makes, it tells you all of these lies that you will never be good enough, that, that God doesn't love you, that you're the worst person in the world. That's from the enemy. So when you have condemnation, you have to recognize, no, I've asked the Lord for forgiveness. He doesn't remember anymore, so I'm done with it. Because the enemy is so, so good at helping us remember our past and helping us remember who we were before Christ, helping us remember when we messed up in Christ, and helping us remember we're going to mess up again. So God's word brings joy and strength. Recognizing your need for a savior and recognizing your need that you do need to live a holy life before God. The joy of the Lord is based on assurance that we have been forgiven and restored in our relationship with Him. I'm going to read that again because it's very, very powerful. The joy of the Lord is based on the assurance that we have been forgiven and restored in our relationship with Jesus. So when you have a relationship with Jesus, you can be sure that you can have the joy of the Lord. Even if nothing else is going your way, the assurance is that you will be with him forever. No matter what this life brings, that's the insurance that you will be with him forever. We start to recognize the awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we can see how our life is fulfilled in Christ. So when we, 
When we start to see that the joy of the Lord is based on the assurance of our relationship with Christ, we can recognize that the Holy Spirit is working in us, and we can start to see that our life is being fulfilled through Christ, meaning that you are living a full, beautiful life in Christ. You are following him. You are following his commandments. You are, you are wanting to be more and more like him. Because he brings joy, a joy that cannot be taken away. There are so many people here that have gone through some really heavy, heavy stuff. Some really heavy trauma. Some really heavy losses. And I'm sure if you talk to any, any seasoned Christian who's been through either a heavy loss or heavy trauma... They understand what the joy of the Lord is a little bit differently than the world does. Because even though they may be grieving, even though they may be working through trauma, whether it's through childhood or adult trauma, it's different because they have the joy of the Lord. They may not feel like everything is together, and they may feel like their world is falling apart, but they're truly relying on Christ. And it can't be taken away from them because they know their foundation is in Jesus. So there are a couple things that I I have, a couple of ways that the joy of the Lord is used in our life. And the first thing is, is God's joy guards us by providing help to overcome trials and temptation. God's joy guards us by helping provide, helping us overcome trials and temptation. And Psalm 119, 165, it says, those who love your instruction have a great peace and do not stumble. When you are going through trials and temptation, this is how God's joy helps you. Philippians 4, 4 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Galatians 5, 20, 20, 20, sorry, 22 and 23 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. God's joy, his whole, the Holy Spirit produces these things in us when we have joy, when we're in him, when we're in Christ. And then in James 1, 2, it says, dear brothers and sisters, when trial, trials of When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many of you, when you're going through something, want to just be super happy and have joy? That's probably one of the hardest things, one of the hardest verses to hear. Is when you when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. I love how the NLT version says it here: an opportunity. It doesn't mean that you have to fake it. Don't consider and just fake it to be joyful. It's an opportunity to have great joy, which means that if a trial is coming your way, if something is messing with you and, and, and you're just feeling off or you're just having a bad day at work or you're having a bad week at work, maybe you're having a bad year at work, I don't know, or your kids are just being kids and you're just finding troubles It's an opportunity for you to be joyful. Why? Because 
this joy that you have will help you get over will help you overcome it it will help you realize how good God is when you keep saying it and when you keep yes God you are good you are good you have given me the ability to come over it or to overcome it but guess what it will also show how you handle troubles and trials with those that are around you the people that are in your circle your people at work your family they will, they will understand and they will get to see that joy come through you through those trials, through those difficult people that you're working with. When you have joy, when you choose to have, when you choose to take that opportunity to be, to be joyful, people around you begin to see it. I love this. The NLT Study Bible says it this way. This is like a gut punch. Many Christians lack spiritual power because they lack joy. It is the strength that comes from our joy that enables us to overcome difficulties. That is so true. Many Christians lack spiritual power because they lack joy. How many of you guys have met someone that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're like the meanest person ever? Like, no, you're not. <laughs> what kind of Christian are you? I don't want to be that Christian. It really does matter, man. The church has a bad rep. The church has a bad rep. People don't want to come into the doors because they think they're going to be judged. People don't want to come into the doors because they think we're super mean. We have to stop that. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you cannot lack the spiritual power of joy. You cannot lack that. You have to have joy. People aren't going to want to be around you. And if people don't want to be around you when you're a Christian, they don't want, to, they don't want anything to do with your God. If you're a super mean Christian or you're just a grumpy Christian, man, I've had those grumpy Christians. We've dealt with them. My dad was a, was a pastor growing up, <clears throat> and um, we've had a lot of grumpy Christians. We've seen a lot of it over the years. Oh, so much so to where I almost said, I don't want anything to do with that. I walked away from the Lord for a little bit, and... Um, he quickly brought me back, but I was like, I don't want anything to do with their religion if they're going to be grumpy and mean all the time, if they're just going to judge me. It shouldn't be like that. Man, we should be the most loving people, not accepting of sin, but the most loving people. There's a difference between accepting sin and loving someone. You love them because God loves them. You don't accept their sin, and that's okay because the Holy Spirit will change them. But if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, you have to have joy. I'm not saying that you have to be super happy all the time and nothing is going on and nothing bothers you. That is not realistic and that is not who you, sh you don't need to put on a front. That's exhausting. That's people pleasing. We aren't called to be a people pleaser. We're called to please God. We aren't called to be happy and, and just go lucky all the time. You, you can show real emotions, but how you handle trials and situations determine how much joy that you're actually going to have and how the people can around you can see it. The second thing, very quickly, a second thought is God, God's joy motivates Christians to be genuinely joyful. God's joy motivates Christians to be genuinely joyful. I have, uh, John 15, 9 through 11 says, I have loved you even as a father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the father's commandments and remain in his love. 
I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is so good. This is Jesus. He's talking and he's saying that he loves us. Remain in him. Follow his commandments. What are his commandments? You will find them in the Bible. Start to read the Bible. You'll find them there. And, and, and then he says that you will have overflowing joy. If you feel like you're lacking joy, read the Bible. There are a lot of people that messed up in the Bible, and they had it pretty bad. I mean, there are a lot of people. Man, if you read the, the New, uh, Old Testament, sometimes you wonder how God used those people. They were messed up. But God used them. And he, and he used them in powerful ways. And man, if you are lacking genuine joy, if you are lacking, tri- if you are lacking joy through trials, read your Bible. Get uplifted. That's how we lift our spirits as Christians. We read the Bible. We listen to worship music. We, we lift our spirits in godly things. When we tap into his joy, it motivates us to do more, to be a better follower of Jesus, and to genuinely be happy and joyful, to have a genuine, a genuineness about us. The joy of the Lord is our strength because you are God's child. Period. End of story. If you don't get anything else out of this, remember, you, the, uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength because you are his child. If you are a Christian, you have the access to joy. My third and final thought, and I love this one because it's so true, man. When I was reading through this, I was like, wow, this is so true, and it's such a timely word. But my final thought is reading God's word brings personal revival. Reading God's words bring, bring... word brings personal revival. Nehemiah 8, 10 through 12. It says, and Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have prepared nothing. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Do not be dejected or sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too, and the Levites too quieted the people telling them, hush, don't weep for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal to share gifts and food to celebrate with great joy because they heard God's word and understood them. Reading God's word will bring personal revival. So much right now we want a revival in the church, but it has to start with us. Revival starts with you. Can God do it in a church? Yes. Is God doing it in churches all over the world? We don't even know what God is doing. He's doing amazing things. But I'm telling you right now, personal revival is going to start. It's going to start with you reading God's word and you saying, I need to change. I need a savior. And then when you say, I need to change, I need a savior. I'm going to live my life better and more fully for God. People around you are going to say, there's something different about that person. Maybe I should try this Jesus thing. And then people, other people are going to start trying this Jesus thing. And before you know it, you have started, you have sparked a revival. Reading God's word, it will bring revival because it will change you. You cannot read God's word and not be changed. 
And so when you start to read God's word, we start to repent. We start to see how powerful he is. We start to want a closer relationship with him. We start to want to have such a desire. Man, there was such a sweet presence of the Lord here this morning during worship. And I, I just felt such a, a sweet presence where I was like, God, we want more. We want more. Well, guess what? You can continue that presence in your bedroom at night when you're reading your Bible in the morning when you're reading your Bible. When you start to say, I want more. I want more. That is personal revival. Celebrate with great joy. They celebrated with great joy because they heard, God, heard God's word and they understood it. They heard God's word and they were like, mm, this is so good. I want more. I want more. So God, when we read God's word, it requires action. And that action will be either repentance, worship, or joy. When we repent, we set ourselves up for spiritual revival because we are drawing closer to God. When we worship, we set ourselves up for a spiritual revival because we are recognizing the goodness and the power of God. Either way, we get revival. When we repent, we get revival because it's drawing us closer. When we worship, we're recognizing the goodness of God and the power. We are going to get revival. If you want to move of God, it starts with individuals reading their, under, their Bible and understanding the truth and recognizing the power that God gives his children. If you want revival, read your Bible. Man, we have so many Christians that are, that are walking around feeling powerless because they feel like so con- the enemy has made them feel so condemned. And I think that sometimes we recognize Jesus said, he said that he had to leave this earth. And then he gave, when he left this earth, that he would give us the power to do even greater things than what he did. Think about that. Think about the crazy things that Jesus did. The amazing powers that he did. I mean, sorry, the amazing miracles that he did. He spit in dirt and put it on a guy's eyes and he was healed. He healed lepers when people wouldn't touch them. He would go up to them and he would touch them. He had compassion for them. He raised the dead. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. People were shocked and amazed. Jesus did some pretty amazing things, and yet we're running around as Christians saying, I can't do that. I don't have the power to talk to that person, I don't have the power to pray with that person. Man, if you're a Christian, you better believe you have the power to do whatever Jesus did. And you should be using it because people need it. People need miracles. They need to know that there's a God that still loves them. They need to know that there's a God that can heal them. They need to know that there's a God that can provide for them. I think one of the greatest things that the enemy does is he whispers to Christians to make them weak. He whispers lies to them to make them weak so they can't fully tap into the power that God has given us. 
We've seen God do some amazing things. And I'm so, so humbled and so thankful for how he chooses to use his church. Because without his church operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, without his church reading the Bible and teaching good biblical foundations, this world would be way worse than what it is right now. We're in a time where we cannot listen to outside sources. We're in a time where we have to dig into the word of God and we have to find truth for ourselves. We're in a time where if you don't stand on God's word, the man, you're not going to know any truth. You're going to be so confused. God's word does not bring confusion. It clears up. If God's word says it, it is it. There is no in-between. There is no, maybe, maybe God will budge on this sin. Maybe God doesn't really look at this as a sin. If God's word says it, then it is a sin. And we have so many Christians that aren't tapping into the word of God and bringing spiritual revival that they're so blinded by what other people are saying and they're so confused if you are praying for the will and the direction of God, or if you are seeking him and you're just needing him to speak to you, the one thing that you can stand on, that you can always go back onto the truth, is God is not a confusing God. He will not confuse you. His word brings peace. His word brings truth. The enemy is the one that confuses you. The enemy is the one that says, oh, this, this is probably okay because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is saying it. It's probably okay. No, God's word is not confusing. So if you are feeling confused, that's not from God. In closing, I want us to, um, <clears throat> to just reflect. And we will be up here if you need prayer. Or if maybe you haven't given your heart to Christ and, and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm in need of a Savior. You're feeling like the Israelites when Ezra was standing on the platform and he was reading to them and they're just weeping, saying, there's something different. I can understand these words now and they are in, they're impacting my life. If that's you and you feel like you, you need to come to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, not as a religion, but as a relationship, as a personal Savior, then we want to introduce him to you. It will be the best decision that you've ever made. And maybe you already know Jesus as your personal Savior, but you're lacking that joy. And you're wondering, God, I don't understand. How do I get the joy of the Lord as my strength? How do I get that? I don't feel very joyful. I don't feel very confident in my relationship with you. We want to pray for you. And I believe that the Lord is going to restore joy today. Because, I don't know, maybe you've been a grumpy Christian. If you have been, we probably know. I'm just kidding. But if you're just feeling that you're not the most joyful person and you feel like you should be because you have Jesus... You have this Christ thing, and you're just feeling people are annoying you, which 
happens. People are frustrating you and you're just feeling depleted. And you don't know what's going on. And you know that you should be this way, but you're not this way. God will restore that. God will restore that. And I believe that he will restore that. And so if you need joy, man, let us pray for you. We want to pray for you. Because I truly believe that if the enemy can suck your joy out of having a relationship with God, there is so much more that he can do to you. There's so much more that he can, he can manipulate because your joy is being sucked out. Because the Bible tells us, and we've said it over and over again, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You are strengthened through him. That means when the enemy tries to come and attack you with trials and tribulations, no, I have the joy of the Lord and he is my strength. I will stand upon his word and I will be strengthened through him. His arm will lift me up. His, I will receive his strength because I am joyful. God, you are so good. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to your people. That God, if you, if there's anybody here that needs to restore joy, God, that you will restore it. Lord, that you will just give such a sweet presence of your joy. Let them feel what it means to have the joy. Let them feel what it means to have strength. Let them feel what it means to know that you are the God of gods, that you are the King of kings, that you are the one that gives us joy, that you are the one that gives us strength. God, we thank you that you are here. And Lord, I pray right now that you would move in such a powerful, powerful way. If you all would stand as we go into worship, it's a little bit easier if you need to respond when you are standing and you're just moving. And... Um, we want to pray for you. If you need prayer, please come forward. We want to pray for you. And maybe, man, I don't know, God can restore joy where you're at. You don't necessarily have to come up to pray for prayer. God can restore the joy where you're at. Man, I've seen it. I've seen him just hit people and then just fall in the presence of the Lord. But if you need prayer, if you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, we are here. Let's worship.